We're coming close to the end in our series in Jonah. And typically, the thought is that Jonah, the story of Jonah ends with Jonah being swallowed by this great fish and spit up out of dry land, story over. But that's not the case. The story goes on because God is not yet done with Jonah. There is still great work for Jonah to do. He's been, I mean, think about this. He's been resurrected up from the depths of the sea and put on dry land for a purpose. The same is with you. Don't waste your resurrection. Don't waste the salvation that God has given you. He has lifted you up, if you're a Christian, up out of the waters of death and given you new life. And you aren't in heaven right now in this moment because he still has something for you to do. And you got to figure out what it is. And you got to take aim at it. And if you're a father, you know partly what your aim is. I mean, look at your children and aim at them. Be a father to them. And the aim is to to raise them up, to be good fathers, for them to also to learn how to take aim out in the world to do what God has called them to do. So Jonah's job is to offer compassion to his enemies, the Ninevites, and he is mad about it. And in our verses in the Hebrew, he even calls God evil for showing compassion to his own enemies. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jonah has my dream job. Jonah walks into a city. He preaches one of the worst sermons I've ever heard. He just basically says God's going to destroy you, and the whole city changes, and he's angry about it. The kind of thing that would make me dance in the streets of the Treasure Coast, and and I'm a horrible dancer, with so much thanks in me, makes Jonah angry and actually call God evil. And so today... We're going to do something. We're going to kill the Jonas around us, and we're going to kill the Jonah that is in us. And we're going to do it with a kiss of compassion from God. Jonah 3, verse 10, and we're going through to chapter 4, verse 4. It says, when God saw what they did, speaking of the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? All right, first point, the Jonahs around us. The Ninevites experience the compassion of God, and Jonah is mad about it. And there, I want you to know, are Jonahs everywhere. They exist, and they're all around you. They appear to want your good, but really what they want is your destruction. And they might be in your home. They might be in your workplace. 
they might be in your neighborhood and they might be in the church. Some of you are looking confused, so I'm going to help you make sense of this. And if you're a paranoid person right now, I mean, you're really in a downward spiral. And Jesus doesn't help the matter because Jesus comes on the scene in, in the Gospel of John and he looks out at humanity and he says, I see you, I know you, and I don't trust any of you. These are people who ought to want your good, and they're keeping a secret from you. They're jealous of you. And, and deep down, if you failed, it would make them feel a bit better about themselves. So what do you do if there's people like that in the world, and how do you spot them? And what if they're in your life? What do you do about them? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand the story of the Ninevites making this turn back to God. And before Jonah... The Ninevites knew nothing about the God of the Old Testament. There, and there are two responses if you know nothing about God. God gets up in your face, and he gets you a challenge. He says, follow me. And if you don't, the only choice you have is to run in the opposite direction of him. So what would cause somebody to want to run in the direction of the living God? And the answer is that we people tend to project upon God what we've experienced from humanity. In other words, you've experienced Jonah's in your life, and you're projecting upon God what humanity has been like to you. There's a saying, God made us in his image, and we return the favor. The reason that people run from God is they don't think that God is to be trusted because they've projected their experience of humanity back upon God himself. And it's a deadly mistake to do that. I, I have found that when people are rejecting Christianity, they're not actually rejecting Christianity itself, but something they have mistaken it for, oftentimes. And much of the reason for that is Jonah's are living in the church. Someone asked me, I was talking to somebody this week recently, and they're not a Christian, and they, they said to me, David, I want to get your perspective. Somebody told me that they think Christianity has been absolutely horrible for humanity. And, and what they proceeded to tell this person is that because Christians are forgiven no matter what, they feel like they could go and live any way they want and treat people like scum. And so this person said, is that true? Is that, like, is that how Christianity thinks? And I said, well, let me explain something. Yes, we're forgiven. And it's amazing. But that's not the whole story. Think of Christianity as three parts. Christianity is about a courtroom. It's about a battlefield. And it's about your aim. In the courtroom, what we find is we are guilty. But an innocent victim comes in and takes our place. It's a courtroom substitute. That's Christ. And so he takes our guilty record upon himself. And he gives us his perfect record. Forgiven. But the story doesn't end there because then you go out of the courtroom into freedom. And there you find you, you've been given a new heart. And this new heart is not meant to be wasted, but it's for you to go out into freedom and live as Christ would live. And that's your aim. You take aim and live as Christ lived. Follow him all of his ways. And that will produce people who love relentlessly well. 
or at least it ought to. So if you isolate these, you don't have Christianity, but only a part of it, which is not Christianity itself. So the Ninevites, they were heinous people. They were despicable, and they were a bit of a lost cause. And so Jonah, this reluctant prophet, comes in, preaches a horrible sermon, and they change their aim. Now, I will say this about the Ninevites. It does not appear that they make a full turn. They don't understand the three parts. They're just changing their behavior. But God relents still. Now, what does all this mean for you? It means that God is good, but Jonah is not. So you need to learn how to spot a Jonah. Jonahs are prideful. They always think that they're right, and they likely think that you are wrong. Jonah's put expectations on you that they don't even keep up themselves. And they're prideful in the way that they have worked really hard. And they think they could deserve the good life. And they've worked harder than you for sure. And if your life is better than theirs, they get angry. They get mad. Or perhaps there's a Jonah who's had a really hard life. They've been thrown into the depths of the sea. The waves have gone over them. They've been swallowed up by this giant sea monster fish and spit back out on a dry land. They've been through it, and God has actually delivered them. But they lost sight of the grace that they once had, and they're incredibly judgmental towards you. And they appear good, and maybe there is something good in them, but they lost sight of it. Now, some of you have a spouse like Jonah. You can never do right, and you are always wrong. And even if you might do something good, they don't point it out. But when you do something bad, well, that's all that they want to talk about. Some of you might have parents like Jonah or children like Jonah. People who have been blessed by God's grace. They've been lifted up out of their sin. They've been put back out onto dry land, yet they have forgotten it all. You do something great and you tell a Jonah about it, you better watch out. You want, you're hoping for them to be like to celebrate with you, but you know what? They're secretly going to find something wrong with what you said, and they might not tell it to you, but you're going to leave that conversation feeling a little bit worse than you entered the conversation. And we've been, we've been talking a lot about comfort and pleasure. So comfort and pleasure, it's comfort and pleasure the wrong way is to seek comfort and pleasure from the things of the earth. It don't deliver. So you stop what you're doing, and you begin to seek comfort and pleasure from the things above. Jonah's are seeking comfort and pleasure in your failing because it makes them feel a bit better about themselves. But what we've been saying is a strong, stable, and steady person, a mighty person, is somebody who has ceased chasing the fleeting comforts and pleasures of the earth and have reached up into the heavens and found something lasting, permanent, a comfort and pleasure that cannot be stolen away. Those are the type of people you can trust, by the way. They need nothing from you. So what do you do if you've got some Jonas in your life? Well, when they get up in your face, you've got two decisions. You're either going to give them power, control over you, or you're going to look up to the heavens and find the comforts and pleasures that are lasting there. And then you can look back at the Jonas in your life, and they will have no control over you. 
Because here's what's going to happen. If, if you can't seek the comforts and pleasures above, you will become a victim of them. But victims often become villains of their own stories. So years later, Assyria, the P, so Assyria, Nineveh is within Assyria. And you know what Assyria does years after this? They go into Israel and invade and drive Israel from their homeland forever. So the victim, in a lot of ways, you may not have heard it this way, Nineveh is a victim of Jonah. Because you know what Jonah should have done? We're going to find this out later in the story. He should have stayed. He should have stayed in Nineveh and fought for them to come to this covenantal relationship with God. To not just change their behavior, but to actually meet the living God. And covenant with him. Be in a relationship with him. But they don't. They just change their ways. And that, that should be a warning to you. Because... When someone throws hell at you, you better be able to climb up into the comforts and pleasures of heaven. Otherwise, you're going to sink down into the hell that they throw you into or at you. If someone else's pride makes you run from God, you're still running from God. So the world today, it's written off the church. And I do, I do like to give the church a hard time. I like to give the church in America a hard time because I'm a little embarrassed about what we've become. But I still love the church. And that might even be prideful of me to say that. But I want you to know this. Those who reject Christ because of the church are still rejecting Christ. And I meet so many people who are doing this very thing. And maybe that's you. The church is filled with Jonas. Pastors can be Jonas. Leaders can be Jonah's. The person sitting next to you could be a Jonah. You can't let that steal Christ away from you. And it's happening like a plague all over America. So, when someone is jealous of you, if you can't climb up into the comforts and pleasures of heaven, well, they're going to drive you down. So, so look, here's a change of perspective. When somebody comes at you like that and you find yourself reaching up for the comforts and pleasures of heaven, thank God for that because they have driven you up for him. When someone's seeking your downfall and you reach up for the comforts and pleasures of heaven because you're not finding it anywhere on the earth, it's like they flipped a switch in your mind and you realize, what am I doing? I'm trying to find comfort and pleasure from this person who is not on my side. Stop what I'm doing right now. And you reach for the comforts and pleasures of heaven and it's all there falling down upon you. When you're harming yourself because you're running from God because of prideful Jonah's in your life, Stop what you're doing. Stop dead in your tracks and reach up for the God who's reaching down to you. And that's how you kill the Jonas around you by going to Christ. You actually use them as a motivation to go to Christ. And anything that drives you to Christ is a blessing. It might be a blessing in disguise, but it's a blessing. So what you need is a change of perspective. And if you don't make it to Christ and stay with him, then you will get wrapped up into the pride of Jonah. 
and maybe you already have. This is our second point, the Jonah in us. So Jonah is a believer. He's been lifted up, resurrected out of the darkness, out of death, put out on dry land. But now what Jonah needs to do is press on to maturity. And I think as Christians, we all need to, to, to look at the story of Jonah and see ourselves as Jonah. We're on dry land, and God says, now press on into your purpose. Press on into maturity. Jonah thinks he's mature, and he thinks he has the right to look down on the Ninevites, and that's exactly his problem. If you find yourself looking down on others, like, I would never do that. Well, you might be in trouble. The pride of Jonah might have you. Because pride makes you think that you can graduate from grace. And, and what's happening here now is you're wasting the salvation that's been given. You've been put up out of the dry land. I mean, God has died for you to be lifted up. And now all you're doing is scanning the horizon, looking for people to judge, looking for people to take down. And he has put you there to do some good on the earth. There's a reason you're not in heaven, and it's so you could bring heaven to earth right now. Pride makes you think you graduate from grace, and, you know, that's puffing you up with conceit. You become a Christian, and then you think, I don't need God's help anymore. I got it. I can take it from here. You always need him. Grace upon grace upon grace. And if you are a Christian, more is now required of you than before you were a Christian. You have received a wellspring of grace and compassion and love and mercy, and you're not supposed to wander around on the earth aimlessly not giving it out, but you take aim and you offer it out to the rest of the world. And if you can't offer it, you've got to question, do you really have it? Please hear this seriously. If you can't offer compassion to the people around you, then you must question, do you really have the kind of compassion that rains down from heaven and dwells in your soul as the living God, living the spirit of God is dwelling in you, offering out compassion to others? If you can't do it, you must ask yourself, do you really know that compassion? And so if you're wondering now, gosh, should I be questioning my salvation? There's a test for you. Be compassionate. And if you can't be compassionate, then you have to just ask yourself, do I really believe this is true? And then you got to go get right with God. Now, you might be saying, hey, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about my enemies? I have never done anything as bad as my enemies have done to me. Well, to that, I would just ask, are you sure? Because in the eyes of God, every single sin is a sin that contributed to the Son of God being murdered upon the cross. Every sin is why he is there. Jesus says, if you have anger at someone, you murder them. Now, check this out. So, King David... He murders and he commits adultery. Some horrible things he does to humanity. 
And here's what his prayer is. God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, he's seeing his sins against others as primarily being sins against God. Now, I want you to think about this. You know that feeling when someone does wrong to you? They sin against you. They do something that just, uh, you know what you start thinking? I have a right to sin against them. Maybe your spouse isn't treating you quite the way you want them to. Ah, mm, I have a right now. And every time you say, I have a right to sin against someone, and you sin against them, you're actually sinning against God himself. That's what David is telling us here. So you aren't as innocent as you think. But you're forgiven. And so if you're really forgiven, that should make you completely thankful and drain you of all pride that you might have. If you can't forgive your enemies, what makes you think you're going to be able to forgive the people that you love? Because sometimes the people that you love hurt you way more than your enemies ever could. And the reason for that is because when you love, it's like your chest gets cracked open. And you're placing your heart in your hands and you're offering it to those that you love. You're vulnerable now. So I promise you, the people that you love, because we're all Jonas, the people that you love are going to hurt you at times worse than your enemies could. Because you know with your enemies, you're guarded. You've got your armor on. You're protected. They throw arrows at you. You can knock them away. But not when your heart is out, being held up to the people that you love. And so if you can't forgive your enemies going to be really hard to forgive the people who hurt you the most. So at times your spouse will feel like your enemy. They'll be a Jonah to you. And if your pride stops you from forgiving them, well, it's the beginning of the end. Why do you think Christian divorce rates are almost equally as high as those who would say that there aren't Christians? The answer is because we have not taken seriously God's command of loving our enemies. It's a test before you. Do you know how to love? Now, I know you're thinking about, what about justice? We're going to get to that. Parents, kids will feel like, parents and kids to each other will feel like enemies to each other. Fathers, it's Father's Day. You're going to feel like your kids are sometimes throwing arrows into your heart. You must learn how to love them. And the way to know, because you got to know before the arrows start coming, because if the arrows come and they hit you, well, geez, you're done for unless you've already learned how to love your enemies. And, like, let's be honest. If you cannot learn to forgive those who have harmed you, you're never going to learn to be thankful for them. And then that's going to slip you into the depression, the kind of depression that Jonah's going into. So here's some tests. Are you jealous of others? I know you are. That's Jonah in you, and you better kill him. Do you pridefully look down on others and say, I would never be like that? That's Jonah. 
you better kill him. Have you suffered more than others? You've worked so hard and you just can't catch a break. And you look at everyone else and you say, ugh, you don't know. That's pride. You better kill that Jonah in you before he kills you. So how do you kill the Jonah in you? It requires a complete paradigm shift, a reorientation to the grace of God, to the compassion of God. The way to kill a Jonah is by the kiss of compassion. Third point. The Hebrew language, Jonah literally says, God, you have done evil. Now, one, one we need to be asking, like, who does Jonah think that he is? Like, God is infinitely wise, infinitely loving. Like, at some point, if you're a Christian and you're wrestling with God, you're going to at some point have to say, okay, look, I shouldn't be surprised if there's some things that God tells me about life that I don't line up with. I mean, I'm not God. So how can I think all of God's thoughts all of the time? I can't. Well, Jonah disagrees with God, and he says that God is evil. Do you ever feel like God does not know what he's doing in your life? Like, hey, God, I had a plan. I don't know if you saw it, but I wrote it in my journal. And I was, I'd even wrote it good. And I, I prayed. I don't know if you remember hearing that, God, but I, it was a good prayer. Where'd you go? And enough of that, if that happens long enough, you start saying, God, are you good? And then, you know, you might not tell anybody, but inside you're shaking your fist at God. And you're feeling all kinds of anger towards him. And then you start thinking something. He's evil. This is a bad road to go down. Jonah, Jonah does something that like every like pastor would love to be able to do. He should be so thankful for what is happening. And he calls God evil for it. Like maybe we're not seeing things the right way. Maybe God's up to something that we don't fully understand. Jonah feels like it'd be better if he was in control. And so he says, God, this is evil. And God returns the statement that Jonah says to him with a question. And he says, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? Do you really understand? Do you think it's really good for you to be angry about this? And we've been exploring in Jonah the discipline of God. You know, we saw that the waves of the sea, God, God sent those waves. God sent the storm after Jonah. God had Jonah swallowed up by this giant sea monster. But God was in complete control the whole time. He knew the end of the story. And so he disciplined him in a way that was in complete control and was absolutely loving and was exactly what Jonah needed. But here, God does not throw him back into the sea. He counsels him with a question because God is patient with us. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Maybe you have been disciplined by God already, and now he's beginning to counsel you. So, like, how does God counsel you? Because, you know, are you hearing a voice from God? Like, how is this working? Well, here's what I want to say. Here's what what I believe is God is counseling you now through the church as the church opens up God's word and is in prayer together. Now, you kind of don't believe it's true because we live in a very individualistic culture, and you think that the real reason think, think you need to do is go find a mountain, climb that mountain, and you're going to have some type of experience with God, and it's going to change everything. And the reality is that that's probably not what's going to happen. What's probably going to happen is if you are intentional in his word with his people on a consistent basis. Here's our problem. I just told you that there's a bunch of Jonas in this room. And so now you're thinking, okay, so what are we doing? We're a bunch of Jonas counseling other Jonas about how not to be a Jonah. But the, the thing is, what, what else is there? Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So do you want me to tell you the person to trust? The one who raises their hand and says, I'm a Jonah. The one who says, I know my heart is deceitful and sick, as Jeremiah says. And I'm not to be trusted always. And that makes them trustworthy. Because they're not hiding anything. These are the people you need in your life. You need some recovering Jonas. Together. We need God's word, not in isolation. So here you go. Step one, read the Bible and pray. Step two, read the Bible and pray with some friends. And to do this, you're going to need a lot of patience, and you're going to need a lot of kindness. The same way God is patient and kind to us. The famous chapter on love, Corinthians, says God is, talking about love, or love is, God is love, and Love is patient. Love is kind. That's the first two. It's the patience of God in that he's allowing you to turn and change your ways and follow him. It's the kindness of God that actually draws you into this repentance. In Romans, it says, the kindness of the Lord is what leads us to repentance. All right. Let's talk about this forgiving your enemy, loving your enemy. What about justice? Well, if you want, if, you know, you need, you need to be someone of wisdom. And wisdom requires you to understand how love and justice work in the eyes of God. So if you want to kill the prideful Jonah in you, you must see the love of God and the justice of God kiss upon the cross. This is imagery from Psalms. So you take the lips of justice and you take the lips of love and upon the cross they meet. The question you have to be asking yourself, if you haven't asked it yet, well, ask it now. How in the world, if God is just, can he relent from his anger towards the Ninevites? But not just the Ninevites. How in the world can God relent from his anger towards you? He must be just. 
He must punish what is wrong. And if he doesn't, he's not God. So what's the solution? It's a big, bloody cross. Because on the cross, love and justice meet with a kiss. And Christ on the cross is kissed with the judgment and wrath that was meant for us so that we can be kissed with grace and love and compassion and mercy. And when you realize how he views your sins and he went to the cross anyways, there's no pride left. And then he rises up out of death. And as the king, he takes his rightful place upon the throne. As the wise king who's teaching you how to live, who's telling you where to take aim in your life. So you take aim. And he gives you the strength to live the way he's called you to live. He's not going to tell you to go live a certain way without giving you the power to do it. He will. So love your enemies. Even those who might be in your home. And if you can do that, that's going to make a changed world. It's going to make a changed city. And it's going to make you thankful and not angry. And it's going to make you humble and not prideful. So you got to kill the Jonah in you with a kiss of grace. And that despicable guy will be gone. Let's pray. Father, humble us. Humble us beyond measure. Humble us beyond understanding. And let us fight to learn what it means to seek your compassion for our enemies so we might be able to then love well those who are in our own, own house. God, I pray for all the fathers here that you would teach them this kind of humility so that we might be fathers who love our children well. Give us the strength that comes from you and you alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.